0: Join us as we venture beyond the pen and celebrate the power of the written word. Great book lovers, authors, and all those who just enjoy reading. I am Maccabee. I am going solo again because something last minute came up for Chelsea, but she is here in spirit. I will try to bring all of her chaos involved in this since we're both technically walking vials of chaos. But today we're going to continue our conversation about true crime And the differences with cozy murder mysteries and why they have such an impact on our lives and our dementedness, per se. Morbidness, dementedness, same thing. Not very far off. But we have today a wonderful young lady who I had the privilege of getting to know just a little bit, Miss Wendy Sand Eckle. And she wrote the book... Murder at Buckley Meadow, which is a really interesting one. It's a Rosalie Hart mystery. I wonder who did it. You will have to figure out that at the end of the book. So Wendy is someone who is very vibrant. She is very outgoing and she's very much a sense of the protagonist because as any of us already know, as authors, there's a little bit of these characters within us. So we have to bring a little bit of ourselves into them, per se. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I bring you the mysterious Wendy.
1: Hi, McAbee. Thanks for having me on.
0: Oh, she's so strict and right to the point. I love it. (laughs) So please, if you wouldn't mind, could you tell us in seven words or less, what is the book about?
1: It's interesting because this book is a series there are three books out there. This is the first one.
0: Mm, okay.
1: Yeah. The, the third was published last August. And then the fourth one is coming out this fall.
0: Ooh. So we got yeah. a thing going. So what is the first one about?
1: It's a culinary and mystery journey wrapped in one.
0: Well, you know what? I I, I think that works because that's what I got out of it, too. So could you introduce yourself to our favorite book lovers here in the world and tell us something that you're willing to give up for us that we don't know about you?
1: I think that would be, I was arrested when I was 18.
0: Wow. Okay. Interesting. Is there anything else wondrous about you besides the thought of you getting arrested at the age of 18?
1: Well, it's interesting because I think that began my path toward writing mystery. It was, it was one of those things that, um, for, first of all, I was with some friends and at that time in Ohio, if you were 18, you could drink 3.2% beer. Ah. And so we were all going out to drink beer. I was the only one that was 18. Everybody else had fake IDs. And so we go to a bar and we get our beers and we sit down. And the next thing we know, we're surrounded by liquor control officers And they put us in a police car and take us to the station. And because my friends were all minors, they got to sit in a nice little office and wait for their parents to come. But because I was 18, they booked me. They took my jewelry, my scarf, my mugshot, my fingerprints. And they were starting to take me to a cell when one of the cops said, I think maybe we're taking this a little too far. So they let me post bail. The good news is what happened is they stamped me as a 6% as a 21 year old, but so they served me 6% beer unbeknownst to me. So my, of course, my daddy got a lawyer and um, was able to to erase my record, but it was that whole before and after thing where before that day, I had no idea that I would ever be, have a brush with the law. And after that, it was like, wow, I could have had a criminal record. It could have changed my life. I was applying to colleges. I, you know, I wanted a career, so it was very interesting to have be on that side of the criminology system. I ended up studying criminology in college as well. So that's why I think that's kind of an interesting story.
0: No, that, that explains a little bit, because when you're looking at your writing, there's a sense of realism in there that only someone who has a criminal record uh, <laughs> would have. Here, let me ask you this, because I want to. I, I have to know, was there a mugshot in your house after that so that your parents could use it against you just for the heck <laughs> of
1: it? The only evidence was the receipt of when I posted bail. And so after my sisters and I all left home, my mother put together little books for each of us with pictures of our report cards, our senior class pictures, all that. And in mine, on the very last page, she had the receipt when I posted bail down in the corner, <laughs> so she never let me forget what I did.
0: Oh man, that that's definitely a, a parent thing. It to is. Do. It was. Uh, I can definitely say for a fact I understand where you come from because i I wasn't eighteen when I had my little thing with the law. I was fourteen. But, oh my goodness! Uh, yeah. But my parents didn't have to worry about holding that against me. My older brother loves using it against <laughs> me and reminding me and my wife when we were just starting out and any of my girlfriends like, yeah, you got to watch this guy behind a behind the steering wheel, you know, I'm like, oh, here we go with this again. Anyways, that,
1: were you driving at 14?
0: I yes, I there was a lot of other things that we will not discuss here because <laughs> I am not putting that out on the internet. Um, are you
1: the youngest?
0: I am. The, I actually, am no, too. Technically, I'm not the youngest anymore. Just because I have siblings now that are much younger than me. But at that time, yes, I was the youngest uh, of us.
1: Yeah, I think but, birth order is fascinating. Absolutely <laughs> fascinating.
0: Birth order definitely has an impact on our lives. That's for sure. <laughs> But let's get into this book because we have a lot of little things that we need to discuss because there was a lot of undertones about relationships within this book and how important they are to us and how much of an impact they can have on us internally and externally. The biggest thing, because we know in our previous discussion was that true crime, cozy murder mysteries, hard boiled detectives, all these subgenres of the crime fiction genre have a major characteristic that involves every single one of them. And that is the importance of relationships within this. When dealing with it, infidelity and all these other darker parts of our human nature. Were there any challenges when writing this that made it more difficult to try not to be so serious with this, but yet keep it somewhat within that cozy murder mystery genre?
1: Um, I don't know if, if it was difficult. I really like this genre. It gives me a lot of room to write what I want to write and what I love to write. But I'm glad you brought that up about relationships because... I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I, I studied, my emphasis was on families and family therapy. And I've worked in runaway shelters and psychiatric hospitals, haven't um, worked in that field for 15 years, but, but I'm fascinated with relationships. And I think they really do impact our decision-making, um, our emotional health, all those things. And, it's, and that's so much fun to write about and create these characters and give them story arcs to give them dilemmas, problems.
0: With that, you also said previously that you had a degree in criminology. Was that correct?
1: In my, in undergrad, I studied, I had a, I had a social work degree with an emphasis in criminology.
0: Okay. So because that made a little bit more of a sense when I was starting to read and learn a little bit more about Rosalie, who is the protagonist. In this case, it was more for her. It was journalism. And creative writing was one of the things that she enjoyed doing. Most of an emphasis on, in this case, she was taking a an extra class for memoirs.
1: Yes. Wine memoirs. Well, actually, that's often a, a lifelong learning class at colleges. But she really didn't know what to do. It was the only one that had a, an opening. And she was lost Having moved away from her husband when she learned of his infidelity very suddenly, she was just lost and didn't know what to do with her time. Her daughter had gone to college in her freshman year, and she really just didn't know what to do with herself. So she saw this class and thought, "Okay, it was either that or knitting. And so she took the, the memoir writing class.
0: I thought it was great that it was memoir class that you really brought into it because of this fact that she was already losing a lot of her mother's side of the family. She had already lost her mom. She had already mm. lost her aunt, who gave her a home. It may have been run down, but it was still a home that she could go to. To me, that was really a very important detail because, to me, when I believe when I saw that, I was like, she's scared of losing anything else, and the way to make sure that these memories don't disappear is learning how to write on. She already was a journalist, she's already a writer, but having that capability of making sure that she's she knows how to do memoirs to keep these things, just in case something else happens, was to me, honestly, important to her. And I don't know if that was like maybe something psycho- psychologically uh, in the subconscious basis that was really part of her, or if it really made an impact with, because of all the relationships around her, basically just breaking down.
1: Absolutely. I'm glad you picked up on that. Yes. Oh, she, you know, in the beginning, she's living in Washington, DC with her husband, Her, her daughter's just gone off to college, her only daughter. And she had really, her life when Annie was in, in school was all about Annie. And so when she learns that her husband had an affair, she, escapes to the eastern shore of Maryland, which is a really unique part of the country, because her aunt had recently died and left her a very large farm and an old house. And so she had somewhere to go. And I think once she gets there, she reconnects through the house and through bread making with who her aunt was, who her mother was, having lost them both, and how they impacted her life. And she really has to decide who she is. But like you said, reconnecting with how those people impacted her life really helps her to heal. And
0: here's the other thing I thought was interesting was because there's such an undertone of relationships and overcoming and receiving the support that she actually needs uh, from the people that she didn't really think that she would get it from is very much a continuous flow through the series itself. In a line, because, for instance, let's look at the relationship between her and obviously Ed and as well as her daughter and the lawyer that she has now helping her. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate on the way that she's seeing these uh, feelings and how she's battling certain feelings for certain people in the the murder of Barkley Meadow first off before the other ones?
1: Sure. Well, she's obviously very lonely. She's living alone. She's had a lot of loss and she's lost. Not long after she moves there, she sees something. The, the farm is on the water, on a river, and she sees something in the river and she goes down and realizes there's a, a young co-ed floating face down and that she's dead. Because she was so horrified by that, she begins to look into how the girl died. They ruled it an accident. And she goes to the funeral and she speaks to a few people and she realizes that it may not be an accident. And as her path toward healing, she investigates what happened to Megan because she's trying to find herself. And, sh- and by solving this murder, she somehow feels that she can heal herself. And really get to know herself again and realize that she's actually very brave and that she's pretty smart. And she does figure out what happened to her and doing these things. And she has some people helping her and those relationships become very important to her. But it's really about her relationship with herself, getting back her confidence, her self-esteem, all those things. And she does this through investigating this crime.
0: So it's obviously not only, you know, building up on the supportive relationships and letting go of the, we'll just call them toxic ones for right now, the ability to discover and rediscover all those things that make you better as a person, especially since she is a little bit older. And she, again, she's had the life of a mother, wife, and all the things that come with family. But let's go back to. What you said earlier about this small town and cardigan itself and the relationships that she's creating there. We all know that when it comes to crime fiction, there are certain characteristics that play to specific uh, subgenres. For instance, with cozy, it involves a small town or something of that sense with true crime. It's always urban. And then, of course, with, you know, hard-boiled detectives and all that, there's always that sense of we are dealing with the environment around us, the darker side of the human nature. When you were creating this small town, what were some of the quirks that you really wanted to have up front with everybody else? And then what were some of the characteristics that you held back for yourself? that made you continue to really work with this, this hometown?
1: Okay. Yeah. It's interesting about the different genres because they, they are very different and cozy. There are rules if you write cozy and one of them yet is it's generally set in a small town, a quirky small town. It's an amateur sleuth. Uh, The murder is never on scene. There's never sex on scene. It's all off scene. The small town I picked like I said, is set on the eastern shore of Maryland, which is a very, really unusual, unique part of the country. And it's mostly farmland and it's very focused on the water. There are rivers and estuaries everywhere. Becoming a waterman, working on the water is a very popular profession. Um, and the other thing is it's a very, very old part of the country. The town I set it in, it is pre-revolutionary war. And there are a lot of small towns on the eastern shore like that. There are people who are, have lived here for generations. When you move here, I live on the Eastern Shore now, and when you move to the Eastern Shore, you are considered from away for at least three generations. Um, so it's very tight. Everybody knows everybody's business. I mean, we just had a tree trimmed, and three cars have stopped for like 15 seconds to check out what we did, and it'll be the talk of the town. <laughs> so I love this place, and it gives me so much to work with. So much. I can, I can have a quirky waterman. I can have a, a farmer. I've, you know, a small town cop. So many, th- so many people to work with. And Rosalie, for, being from away, actually gives her some freedom to explore things and get to know things. And it's 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 fun to write her. I write in first person as she goes on her journey. It's so much fun. But I have so much to work with.
0: So, what is your favorite characteristic of of this town that you've created?
1: I love that everybody knows each other. And what happens in a small town like that is there's no cancel culture because somebody can do something wrong, but you're going to see them for the next 20 years in church, in town. People forgive each other. They get over it because you have to, because we have to live with each other and there aren't that many people here. And I love that because I hate cancel culture. I think it it's so limiting and it makes people fearful of, doing what they love to do. And so I think that's my favorite part.
0: I love it because for some reason, and I don't know why, when I was looking at this and we're talking about, for instance, Birdie's Shoe Store. Mm -hmm. Okay. Birdie's Shoe Store, as you put it, is a shoe store, but it also has magazines, newspaper, candy, and this little area in the corner with some doll dresses with tags on them. The first thing that popped in my head is like, that's not a shoe store. That's a general store. (laughs) But it's something that in my mind, especially coming from a small town myself, it happens all the time. It's like you have this one store that's always that's been there since the beginning, basically, of the town. It's just something that overall just not even really changes, but evolves a little bit to add a few things here, take a few things away. But let's talk about Birdie real quick, because Birdie is one of my favorite characters because of the fact that she is very much like you said. She knows everybody. She knows everything that's going on, even if it's like five minutes before it actually happens. She's like, "Yep, yeah, I, I already called that one. Where did Birdie come from from you? Where was the inspiration for her?
1: Well, and I grew up in a very small town also, and there was a shoe store but, and the guy was a bookie. That's where everybody went to place their bets. So that was one of those. She is really the only character in all my writing, in all my books that I've ever based on a real character. The town that I live in is technically Cardigan. And there used to be a shoe store. I would pick my kids up from school. Drop them off at Birdie's. They'd go in and get my Washington Post and each get a little candy bar and then get back in the car and we'd go home. You know, it was just one of those things and she knew everything and it was just, it's not here anymore. She closed up. It's a dress shop right now because like you said, that's, that's such a part of a small town. There's the one place where everybody knows they're going to find something out and, and get the latest gossip.
0: One of the other things I really wanted to talk about, and let's, let's start talking about the, The darker side of of this a little bit more because it does have an impact on everything around us. There's a lot of these little intricate things that you have presented to us, these little nitbits, these little red herrings there every once in a while, things that, you know, go bait with everything that is Cozy Murder Mysteries. Let's talk about The Sheriff. You, you can really feel that what this deputies, the sheriff and some of the people that are still, they don't really trust her yet. Frank is a good example of this too. That when we are bringing in this thought of someone, a sleuth, an amateur sleuth coming in, this character, the sheriff was very much, you're, you're out. Even from the beginning, it's like, you don't need to ask any questions. Just stay out of it. But it was one of the lines that he really said that got me really just not liking this guy at the beginning. And it was when she asked the question about if the parents had been uh, notified yet. And the thing that he said that really got me was that there, they don't do that, especially they let the college do it. Why was that a little tidbit that you wanted to put that makes it completely different from everybody, everything else.
1: I think because the sheriff in this first book, he has an arc through the series Mm -hmm. and really does begin to evolve, but he has an alcohol problem that he hides. The president of the college uses that against him. And so he knows that he's under this guy's thumb. And so he has to leave it up to the college because colleges do this but sometimes if, if a student dies or if a student is raped, I mean, colleges can cover that stuff up because it's bad for admissions. It's a, a corrupt cop and a corrupt college president, and he knows he's got to go through him, which, you know, myths Rosalie because these people have lost their daughter. She, they still don't know that she's died. And, um, that's the setup for the corruption and the mode, uh, the motive for a lot of the sheriff's ill behavior. And it makes sense
0: too, because again, when you're looking at, you know, the suspiciousness between him and the president, especially at the beginning, when we're, we're met with the, the lawyer being outside of the coffee shop, which might, by the way, I like the way that you, uh, describe their coffee because (laughs) yes, I've had that type of coffee before. And this is another thing I love about your character development and the arcs that you create is that One of the things with Rosalie is that she loves coffee. She does. She loves her coffee. She knows all the things that go with it. She has the stainless steel. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the the word for this thing because I know I'm going to get it wrong, but she has a a fancy coffee maker at, at the house, which is like the newest thing in this entire 200 year old house. Here's the other thing that I thought was interesting in in the sense of the mystery itself was that, again, the darker side of the relationships, the darker side of human nature, there was a lot. This was not the only thing in regards to infidelity that uh, you put in here. And where were the more difficult parts when it came to trying to balance out the darker side of this story compared in human nature, comparative to the cozy side of this.
1: My books have been called cozy with an edge. And I think because I love to explore human relationships, the the good things and the bad things, and the, like you say, the dark side, it was a, a tough balance. In fact, it's, it's interesting. When I first got a book deal for the first two books, I signed on with Minotaur Books. I had an editor young woman, Harvard educated. I loved her. When she did her first edit, she took a lot of things out. And I said, "Well, why did you take these out?" And she goes, "Well, this is a cozy mystery." And I said, "It is." Because I didn't know it. I mean, I thought I'd written a traditional mystery. And she said, "Oh, no, no. These are cozies." This time when my third book came out, I hired a publicist. And I said, "You know, I I have a new publisher. I want to I want to sell this as a traditional mystery." And she's a a big publicist up in Connecticut. And she said, Oh no, no, you don't cozies sell you write cozies keep to it. And I was like, and, and then I, what I realized is I have a lot of leeway uh, to write what I love. I have a culinary theme. I love food. I love food narratives. I love all that stuff. And with a cozy, I get to indulge myself because, you know, in the third, one, she studies with an Italian chef, I bring him to Cardigan. I spent the pandemic, researching Italian cookbooks. And and so now I embrace it 100% because I just love this genre. I can do so much with this genre. I can have so much fun with my characters. And an interesting thing, I taught a lifelong learning class via Zoom to some people down in Boca Raton. And I was interviewed by a woman. She said, why don't we talk the day before we have the class? And so we're talking and we were getting along great. We talked for over an hour. And she said that when she, they, when my publicist sent her the book, she wasn't sure if she could finish it because in the past four years, she had battled two types of cancer, lost her husband to lung cancer, lost her mother to dementia and her best friend to the pandemic. And she lives alone. And she said, I just, I can't read. I can't finish a book. So she said, she picked up my book and she could finish it. The first book she's finished in four years. And so when we were doing the class, she told that story and the woman who was moderating said, same here, I read that book and I haven't read finished a book since my mother died. And I thought that was, fa- and I have another woman who lives in town who owns an art gallery, lost her husband very suddenly. And I went into her art gallery and she said, oh my God, I just finished your book. I haven't finished a book since Al died. That's why I write, to hear those stories from my readers. But I, But I think what happens is, and as part of it is a cozy genre, but part of it is how I write is I think they trust I'm not going to take them somewhere they don't want to go. I feel that I have a contract with my readers. If, if they are going to start my book, you know, I've got to give them a good ride, but I have to give them a satisfying ending, one that they trust. And that's why I love this genre. I really do.
0: And I think that's why a lot of people love that genre, too, because, again, like you said, you're not going to be shown Something that is going to make you feel uncomfortable. If you mm-hmm. want something like that, then you can go to the true crime. You can go to the, uh, hardwood, Texas, the nitty gritty, because all that is very important to that because they are specific details that need to be seen. I think that's another reason why, like I said in the previous episode, why cozy murder mysteries have lasted so long. You know, they were, they were first created. Technically by I I want to say technically, because the original creator of the cozy mystery uh, subgenre was Agatha Christie back in 1929, 1931, something like that. With that, you know, there is a consistent like you said, there are certain things that need to be done when you are creating a cozy murder mystery. There are certain rules that you have to follow. What was the hardest one that you had to follow?
1: No swearing,
0: which is something that a lot of people want to do that have a difficult time. No, you're right. It, it, I, I agree wholeheartedly, especially when you it's get very into the characters. Yeah. When you get into these characters and you're building them up so much, you're like, mm, I, I know this guy's going to want to say all this stuff, but I know I can't.
1: Yes. And sometimes it's hard to make characters authentic if they can't just say, you know, God damn it, you know, just so that's probably the hardest challenge.
0: Well, I think there's a lot of things within this series that people are going to see that are you're going to get continuous people saying the exact same thing. I haven't finished a book in so long. And this is the first one that I've read that I've completed and I want to continue. And that says exactly what, who you are as a writer, you've taken your experiences, you've taken all the research, all the degrees basically that you've written, you've come across in your life and you're using them in a way that people see that when they read each of these books so let me ask you this because I asked you what was the most difficult part of not doing that what is your writing kryptonite what is the one thing that really keep that you are so weak on comparative to everything else
1: I would say I'm my own kryptonite I struggle with anxiety and when my anxiety gets going I can't think I can't create it fills my head it's too noisy in there when the anxiety's going I just I have to find ways to calm that down. I have to clean the surfaces in my house. I have to I have to do a lot of deep breathing and and sometimes I just, I just have to give up because it I know this is not going to be a creative day. So that's it. That's that's my struggle. I really have to keep that in check. And um I have ways to do it now. I mean, I think I've figured it out, but when it when it's going full throttle, there's no creativity happening. So but I understand that, you know, one of my favorite books is Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, and it's about the creative pro- process. And and she talks about your muse. She refers to and this is actually in history, this, back to the ancient Greeks, where you're not a genius. The genius visits you occasionally. So she talks about how the muse will visit you and how you have to be open to it, because if, if you're not open to it and you don't invite the muse in, it's going to go somewhere else. I I believe that I had a big magic moment last night. The Daylily Cafe it gets a restaurant review. And so I wanted to put that review in there. I like to put letters and, you know, different things, menus in there. And I wrote it in 15 minutes and I reread it this morning and I'm like, wow, I had my big magic last night. It's so much fun. And sometimes you just have to write badly and know you're going to go back and fix it just to get the story down. But when when you have that big magic, that's that's the best that keeps you going. It's like hitting a good drive on a golf course. It's like, I'll be back next step. It's the same way when you get a big mag- magic moment like that. It's, it's like, this is why I do this.
0: Is, is there another inspiration that keeps you writing?
1: I think what I said earlier to know that people trust my books. And I think that's it. I mean, I've that means the world to me. And especially as a social worker, you can imagine have someone say that this book helped them heal is incredible. That just keeps me going. Yeah. And I think certain people need safety in certain things and some people need safety in the books they read. I have a friend who always reads the last page because she does not want to be surprised. So I think, you know, we're all different. And like you said, some people, I mean, there were, there were some people on that zoom who love the nitty gritty, the true crime, the darkness and it somehow helps them deal, I think, with another part of their lives. You know, we all have different things that we need to feel sane. So I think the people that like my books and find safety in them and, and, and are entertained, and when they get back to me and tell me that, it just, I keep writing. I don't want to stop.
0: So what is next for Miss Wendy Eccle?
1: Oh, I have a lot. Um, I'm writing the fourth. It's called Killer in a Winter Wonderland. So it's a holiday-themed Book. I'm almost done. I got to send that off to my editor. I've also asked my editor if, if she how she felt about a companion cookbook. And she's all in. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And I'm going to have secret family recipes, there's going to be a narrative with each recipe, which I love. And I write the advice column for the Maryland Writers Association. And I've been doing that. It's a quarterly newsletter. And I've been doing that for three or four years. And what I really want to do is put that in an anthology, all my columns, and have it be a writing resource. So i got a lot of things on the plate. I'm excited.
0: It sounds like it. (laughs) And I cannot wait to find that because I love eating. And uh, knowing that there's a book that has not only murder mystery stories attached to these little recipes, I mean, that's like a murder mystery fan's dream come true because I know there's a lot of stories that I've read or I've heard on like old time radio that I'm like, I really would love to
1: know how that actually looks and how yes. it tastes. Yes. Yes. Well, in, in mystery, what's one swept farm, the one that was recently released, like I said, she studies with an Italian chef and I have a, a friend, Carla Palumbo, who's 100% Italian. She lives in Rochester, but she goes back to Italy all the time to see her family. She's lost both her parents. She and her brother don't have any children. And so I was sitting on the beach in in Fort Lauderdale with her one day drinking champagne, and she starts talking about this Palumbo family red sauce. And I said, tell me, do tell. And I kept filling her glass, and she starts telling me how you have takes all day. And and the next thing you know, I said, well, who are you going to pass this down to? And she said... I don't know more champagne. And the next thing you know, she said, okay, you can put it in your book. So she goes back to Rochester. She was in her kitchen for 16 hours. It's never been written down. So she was trying to figure out the ingredients, the, the amounts. And she sent it to me. It's two and a half pages long. It's on my website. And this, their secret, the Palumbo family secret is when it's after, after it's simmered all day, a lot of recipes add like maybe carrots or sugar, they add just a pinch of baking soda and the whole thing bubbles up, but it it cancels out all the acidity. So yeah. So I'm always applying my friends for recipes and this is a good one. Yeah. Uh, All
0: right. You got me. I love Italian food. So I'm I'm definitely going to be finding this one when it does come out. So speaking of which, where can people find you?
1: Oh, okay. Uh, My website is Wendy sand echo author.com. So, and I'm on Facebook I have an author page, and but my website is great. And also, there's a place where you can sign up for my newsletters. On the website, you'll get a pop-up. And my daughter helps me with these newsletters, and she's a very visual person, and they're just stunning. I had I put in a recipe for a cocktail. Here again, there's a narrative to it. And everyone knows a Negroni with the gin. Apparently, there's this story that a bartender, Italian bartender, got distracted by a beautiful woman. Instead of putting gin in the Negroni, he put in Prosecco. And so that is now called a Negroni Sbagliato. And spagli- I don't say it right, according to Carla, it's Spagliato. But that means mistake in Italian. So we were in a local bar and my husband likes to get tequila Negronis. And so we, she, this one bartender, Nina, makes the best one and he loves to go there. And so I said, Nina, have you ever heard of a Negroni Savagliato? And she goes, oh, yeah. And so she made me one. And so I took her picture and I put the cocktail in my newsletter. And she said, two nights later, there were two women sitting at the bar. And one said, I don't know what to order. And the one nudged her and said, order that drink that was in the newsletter. And so they did. And it just made that made me so happy. So I always put fun things like that in. Always a recipe. Hopefully some kind of secret family recipe, but always one with a story. So they can sign up for that. I, you won't be disappointed. It's, it's not me bragging about myself. It's just there's recipes, hummingbird feeder stuff. There's I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. So it's fun.
0: The day in the life of Wendy Sand Echo. <laughs> thank you again for being on this show. I really appreciate you.
1: Oh, thank you for having me, McAfee. Maybe we can do this again when the next one comes out.
0: There you go. All right, folks you know where to find her. You know her quirkiness. I told you she was be really a little bit quirky, but I didn't know that she would be this wonderful woman. Well, I knew that part too. The wonderful woman who knows a lot about food, a lot about drinks, a lot about everything, basically, and uh, has shown you that there are rules, but there are ways around certain rules to make them your own. And that's what we want you to come out with this, is that You need to be able to be yourself in your writing, no matter who says anything about it. Work with them, work with the professionals, find editors, find copywriters, find all those proofreaders and people in your life that are going to support you to make your writing better. And you know, we're always going to be here to help you out too. So until next time, folks, keep writing, keep inspiring, keep sharing and unleash your creativity.